0: A different future starts with you. That's why GoDaddy does more to help you find a name. You can create, sell, and get found online so any small business can make a change. We need a new generation of thinking. Your way of thinking. Start different at GoDaddy.com.
1: If you've recovered from COVID-19 or unknowingly been exposed to it, you may have antibodies that could help COVID-19 patients donate blood and receive testing for COVID-19 antibodies. Visit Vitalant.org today. This is an ode to the glass noodle. You may be glass only in name, but our love for you is crystal clear in every Bibigo Korean dumpling. Your tantalizing texture tickles the taste buds, and while you are see-through, the world can't help but see you. The glass noodle, one of many obsessively crafted ingredients in every plump and juicy Korean dumpling from Bibigo. Go handcrafted. Go Bibigo authentic korean dumplings now in the freezer aisle this is podco media networks hey everyone it's el wolf host of the further podcast and today in part two of my discussion with doug kessler the co-founder and creative director of velocity partners we're going to dig into how to run a seamless creative project and be a great agency client hope you'll stick around on the agency side, you work with tons of teams. I'm sure you have, have seen and had a hand in a lot of really exceptional and inspiring work. But, you know, also a lot of dysfunction and getting things wrong. Like, what do you, where, you know, we've talked a bit about B2B and B2C. Like, what are B2B marketers still getting wrong? Like, where, where, where do you think that if you had a, to, you know, if you could make a recommendation to all B2B marketers, stop doing this, start doing this, like, what would that be?
0: Yeah, that's a good one. I mean, dysfunction is it's, it's, it's absolutely everywhere. It's almost like in an organization, function is dysfunction. It's like just what flavor of dysfunction. And a, a big one for me is this idea of stakeholders. I know you and I have talked about this a lot because I've always thought you were one of the great stakeholder managers. And it's the big challenge. And I think marketers shirk it and they become the victim of it. So they're like, oh, I got my thing shut down. It's like, wait, you didn't do any of the work to align people first, and then you just threw this shoot up a clay pigeon, and they, of course, they shot it down. And now you're going to bring another clay pigeon okay. next time? It's like, wait, get aligned, figure this out. No, yeah.
1: defend it to the death, like make compelling yeah, argument. what good
0: looks like? Agree on that first before you even bring ideas agree on what good looks like first if you can't agree well there's your problem and you got to work on that and if you can well aim for that and make it great and show people why the thing you all agreed was great is this and you know so that that part i think the amount of energy spent on coming up with great stuff versus aligning stakeholders to be ready to hear that and to buy it once you you know put it to them I used to resent that extra energy and think, no, 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 I come with the ideas and everyone should just get out of their way and, and that you know, it's an obstacle to doing my job. And now I realize no, that is my fucking job. That really is. And the more work you can spend on that, right. the better your work's gonna be. So that state stakeholder sadomasochism is the biggest thing I'd love to to change in B2B, is that is that clientside marketers and agencies get together to put in the time to to pave the way. And, you know, I mean, there are a million others along the way. There's one that we just talked about of um, content marketing being confined confined to lead gen and demand gen when it, content can do so many incredible things for brand. And so that's another one, which I'd love to get it out of that box. I think as it matures, it's getting put in some boxes in companies where it, it, it's, it can't do as, as much as it ought to be able to do.
1: So I have I have like three more questions. So why, why one kind of going back to what you were just talking about? You know, I actually I interviewed a guy the other day who is a, a founder of a, a small agency, and he was talking. We were talking a little bit about like, you know, when you're dealing with clients who 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 think like they think you're there just to like service them versus this is a partnership and we're here to work together. And I think that I've seen that behavior, and I feel like that gets in the way of working well with an agency and getting great work. But like. I also like, I see so much inertia. Whether it's internal at a company or I think it's on full display when you're working with an agency and like, you know, just this inability to like get things done in a timely fashion or operate Mm -hmm. with urgency. Do you think is that usually a stakeholder issue? Are there too many stakeholders? Is it not? Is it just the things you just talked about? And I, I mean, again, like, I don't think this is this is resigned specifically to working with agencies. I feel like this happens to a lot of marketing departments in general, where they just like, trip over themselves like I don't I don't know what it's and you know me I'm like yeah, let's right. get it done tomorrow yeah. what do we need to do and it's all, and it's all about aligning people and it's about being very clear and why do people why do so many companies struggle with that
0: yeah I think stakeholders are a really big part of it and the the feel the feeling that you have to democratize let people in and get consensus and all that and what I think it comes from is for many years, most of the years of my career as a B2B person, the B2B marketing department was probably the weakest department in the whole company. They didn't have any respect and they didn't deserve that respect.
1: And this, ladies and gentlemen, is right. the career
0: I have chosen. Well, luckily it's changing fast. And yeah. The is really well, it low. And, and so and it's not like, hey, we don't get the respect we deserve. They were getting the respect they were deserve, and it was very little because they weren't contributing. And it was harder back then, and now all of a sudden, whoa, accountable marketing's here. You're getting proper marketers at the other side of the table. So they're earning respect more and more, but there are still a whole bunch of departments and marketing teams who are still in that place. They just haven't earned enough of the respect to where their colleagues from all different directions will say, get on with it. You guys do it. You're the best at this. Go for it. Instead, it's like, oh, we check with everybody on everything because we're scared of our own shadow. It's like, if you believe, you know your stuff inside out, you know your market, you know your customer, you ought to be able to and empowered to go for it and just really go for it. And you'll get some things wrong. That's okay. But it's this timidity that just sucks the soul out of all of it. And and that's why, again, you know, work with Al Wolf, you're going to, there's going to be momentum on a project. And that keeps the energy, And the energy actually builds instead of going down. Yeah. And that really shows, I mean, you look at the marketing, you can see that the mojo was, if it was ever there, was strangled out of this thing over time.
1: Yeah. Yep. I think that has a lot to do with, I mean, it's p- part of what you said, which is, you know, you start to be a master of your craft and you earn a lot of credibility and trust. And therefore you, you get out of the habit of having to build consensus and doing these things because you, you kind of have the autonomy. I do think in large part, that is also a situational thing. I mean, it's possibly, it's possible to be a great marketer in a shitty company and still suffer from this, like, I got to get 12 people. I mean, you know, when we did the the rebrand of Path Factory, yeah. we were dealing with like three people. I mean, we did not even like the the so we had a senior leadership team and that was you know all the C level folks or whatever. And they were not part of like choosing the name or it was like, hey, how do you guys feel about this name? Oh you don't like it? It'll grow on you. I mean yeah. that was our strategy, right? Like, because I knew the second thought... I mean, even when you guys first came back with all the names, I was like, this is too many names mm-hmm. for our two co-founders to look at. Like I knew that they would just mm-hmm. get, you know, uh, it, it would it would mm-hmm. cause like an aneurysm. So I was like, let me whittle this down mm-hmm. to give them 20 to look at. And I didn't... I didn't ask for permission to do that. I was just like, I'm chucking these names out and you're never going to see them and you'll never be the wiser. And because of that, we can, I know we can move faster versus let's look at a hundred names and spend four Absolutely, years on but, that you project. Know,
0: the reason you were able to do that is you had built up cred and respect there and they liked that you yeah. managed them that way and you brought them in when it mattered. And and so if you hadn't built up that cred, we couldn't have done that. I Even when the naming came up, My heart kind of sank, not because of you, because any naming project can just be death by stakeholder. Like, everyone's got an opinion. Yeah. yeah. And what we tried on that project together was reduce the subjectiveness, try to align on what good looks like, what a great name will do. And I love what you said about, look, you'll get used to it, which, of course, a new name will never feel as cozy and fit you as well as your old one did. I mean, at least, you know, you knew it for years so preparing people for that is part of that, and you know, and the answer if you, you yep. don't worry, you'll get used to it. If you don't have a better reaction than meh, then um, you know that's not fatal. We ought to be able to move on.
1: Well, so two things. I mean, first of all, I was very lucky to not work for a CEO who was a control freak. He just, I mean, part of his inherent nature is just that he was a trustful person who felt like he hired, you know, uh, professionals to do these jobs and he trusted them. But I mean, we actually, on the naming thing, I always love to talk about it, but I mean, we did, you know, I think sometimes the mistake people make with these things is like, you want to have this like big unveil and they're like, here it is everyone. And then Mm -hmm. people are like, oh, I hate it. Right. And so, I mean, we did this weird thing where for the month leading up to the rebrand, we shared every Friday a big piece of it with the entire company. So we told them what the name was going to be a full month before anyone knew what the name was going to be. And people thought that was insane. Like, oh, aren't you afraid it's going to get out and everyone's going to know? And it was like, well, first of all, I think everyone wants to be treated like grownups. And if you treat them like Mm grownups, hopefully they'll behave that way. And no, we don't want it to leak or whatever. But I also felt like you need a chance to try it on and get used to it. And I was pretty confident that if we gave them time, they would all just be so excited by the time it actually happened. And that's and there were certainly people who did not like it at first. I, mean, I remember sharing the logo and I like, I love the logo. I mean, I, yeah. like, I had dreams about the logo. I, love
0: I loved it so much. Some people did yeah. not like
1: the logo. And it was just like, okay, cool. It's not for you. Mean, I mean, I, you know, like we're moving on. And
0: a lot of marketers yeah. that... That comment would have killed them. It's like, oh, I can't overrule this person. I can't just ignore it. And now I feel bad. And now also, I'm not sure it's good either. Like levels of confidence. One is, I love it, and I know it's good because I love it. Like trust your own taste. The other is, sorry, it's my job, not yours. And and knowing, just knowing, there's a hundred people in a company. Not everyone's gonna love any one outcome, and you just gotta be able to be used to that and ready for it. But again, that's confidence, and so. I mean, when we look for clients, we're looking for confident marketers who have a bit of power in their company because what a difference that makes. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yep. I think my mother prepared me for that whole thing because she told me at a very early age that not everyone would want to be my friend. So I got very I got very comfortable with the idea that like some people just aren't going to be for me and that's okay. And yeah. that's sort of how I feel about marketing. I'm like, maybe it's for you. I love it.
0: That is one of the best things you can teach a kid. Absolutely. I, I wonder if she did what after a few parties when you came home. It's like...
1: Oh, really? oh, it was a hundred percent that. I had this one very rough year in, in elementary school and I was like devastated because like all these kids didn't want to be my friend or whatever. And she was like, you're just not their person. So just
0: move on. find your people." What a great answer. Imagine a mom who's like, okay, what can we do to change them? It's like, bullshit. Yeah.
1: That, okay. This was the eighties. Like that, that's what would happen now. It would well, just be yeah. like, let's go find, let's go find your tribe. Let's go find your people. Uh,
0: yeah, hope, because there was one little kid who like my, he kept saying my youngest daughter Zoe. She's about four years old, and the kid's like, "Oh, Zoe has to come play. Zoe has to come play. Zoe has to come play." So I show up with Zoe at the door. She opens the door, and the kid goes, "Not that Zoe!" <laughs> and I'm like, "You little bastard! This is the oh, best Zoe." Kids <laughs> <She's really
1: laughs> are <laughs> My mom prepared me for that harsh reality, you know?
0: But that like that's the marketing advice right there. Not everyone's gonna love your brand either. It's perfect. Like don't don't try to be for everybody. It's so liberating.
1: Yeah. And put yourself in situations where you feel like you're going to have some power and autonomy because there's nothing worse than being a marketer who is constantly second-guessed and constantly has to make a big case and has to build consensus because you will just... It is soul-sucking. It just really... It crushes your soul.
0: Yeah. And you get used to that and you've lost confidence in yourself. So now you're just a service provider to other people who aren't that good at this. You know? And you were, you were good at it.
1: Well, I thing. Everybody's yeah. got a frigging opinion about marketing because it's like very visible and you know, everyone can look at your website and therefore everyone yeah. is an expert at marketing. And it's frustrating because you're like, do you know how much yeah. time and thought went oh, into that? But like, you know, and that's why, I mean, I have, I have sought that out and I think I've been lucky to not work for assholes, but it's been a very deliberate sort of career move on my part.
0: It's a super good one. I mean, it's the bottom line. And I think, if people are in the situation, I always think, well, you can either fight your way out of it where you are, or move on. Find a place where mm. this isn't true, where mm. your, your gut feel is, is, is valued.
1: Because those yeah. places do exist, and I think, the, I think the counter is true as well. I think there are terrible places and t- terrible tyrants to work for, and sometimes you get in those situations and it's tough. But there are great places that will allow marketers to Absolutely. own the marketing and, and do the marketing and do the best stuff.
0: Absolutely. And also, it's self-fulfilling too, just to finish that one, is that like you can go to a place where they're not quite sure, and they're not quite sure about marketing or about you, but over time you can earn that. It's like, whoa, this stuff's good and that person's good. So it's not just binary. There is this zone where your own behavior and how you treat the job can change that.
1: If you've recovered from COVID-19 or unknowingly been exposed to it, you may have antibodies that could help COVID-19 patients. Donate blood and receive testing for COVID-19 antibodies. Visit Vitalant.org today. So I want to talk about content marketing to wrap it up here, because I know you guys, you have been sort of at the forefront of what we'll call content marketing. And in content marketing, becoming an actual, like, discipline. Like, I feel like I remember when this happened, like, when it was really starting to coalesce around, like, a role in an organization and like a true function. I mean, when you think back on sort of this, this evolutionary path that content's been on, like, it not particularly in B2B, like, what do you think? Like, what are the high points? What are the memorable moments? And what do you think like content, you talked a little bit about it, you know, having this broader function, but like, what do you think content marketing is now and will will be? That's like yeah, a big, it's a great one. question. I mean,
0: it was a super fun ride, super exciting. When a whole market is on the steep part of the learning curve together is a great thing. And it doesn't happen in a yeah. career that many times. And so we're all learning in public. Everything is by definition an experiment. Like, you know, we're trying this and we're doing it in public and let's see. And I really love that. And I think that time, even though there's a ton to learn in many different directions, that time is over and content marketing is is kind of almost dissolved into marketing it's just how it's done it's mainstreamed it's industrialized and it's getting operationalized and you know that repeatable process of industrializing something is just great for making toaster ovens or you know things that should be identical but when it's not like when these things should not be identical it's not great for that and so for me, it can kill that joy that that was there at the early days, playing in the sandbox and figuring out what this means. How do we move this audience with these ideas, you know? And how do we do something just fun and clever and sparkly and exciting and crafted? And and some of that is 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 seeping away as it gets put in its boxes and in its role.
1: Yep, as we try to yep. stamp it out with a cookie cutter and make it a process oriented thing, all the. Time.
0: Yeah. Right. Which I totally get. Like you do really want to have a grooved process, but you should process. Sorry, America. I've been here too long. <sighs> right. I'm, I'm almost way. Canadian. So, so, you know, I get that, but they're just, we need to find a way to make space for that spirit that was, that, 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 that energized the early days. And so that for me is, you know, where we've been and where we're going. And now there's the challenge of what's exciting. What I'd like to see you know, I would love the future to be a much more documentary approach, you know, a documentary either as the format or the mindset of let's go find out and let's not know exactly what we're going to say coming out of the gate. Like let's not make, we can make our message house and put everything in it and it'll fit nicely. That's great. Fine. But you don't have to hit everyone on the head with it every time. Sometimes it's like, let's go to the market, talk to smart people, make a documentary whether it's literally a video or not and see what happens what do we collect be open to the world that you're working in and selling to and be able to respond to what you find and i would really love that and i think it calls for more confidence not less you know it's hard enough for b2b marketers to say that's where we're going let's go and get everyone on board when it's we're going in that vague direction and we're not sure what we're going to find that's really hard, and, but I, I really like that. So a documentary approach or mindset, I would love to see more of, which is, again, I suppose what I'm asking for is a confident marketing department.
1: That's all very interesting. I do think I mean like there's a pioneering spirit there, right? That you're after of just like go forth, marketers yeah. and not don't be so concerned with the end result. And I think that is frightening for some people for sure. I sort of I sort of love mm. that. And it's funny because I I am this person who I do crave order and process and sort of like the knowledge of what is to come and how it will work and how it all fits together. But I think, you know, I've worked in a lot of early stage startups and growth stage companies, and I've gotten much more comfortable with yeah. the chaos and the like yeah. lack of knowing. And I like, it's 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 somewhere. It's like living yeah. in the middle somewhere, where you're like, you know, you're thoughtful about it, and you know, you're you're you've got all the right inputs, but you're also willing to sort of let things like evolve and and um, show themselves yeah. over time. And I okay. I sort of love that. I think that's
0: and it's yeah. not like it's all or nothing as a marketer. You could just make a track for that. You can say, look, this is our experimental budget or our documentary budget or our side budget. And let's all agree, going into it, we don't know where it's going to lead us. And let's all be cool about that. Yeah. And everything else will pin yep. down and we'll nail down and we'll deliver on time and under budget. But here's a track where we won't. I just think that would be great because, yep. if again, it's about stakeholder alignment. It's like, let's all agree that that's what's happening here so we don't get beat, beat up with the metrics from the, the predictable stuff.
1: Yeah don't let it drag you down well it's like a lot of product groups now have like moonshots you know right. whatever and it's like it's moonshots for marketing yeah. like and i actually think this move this this movement toward more focus on brand and investing in sort of brand types yeah. of things it, is kind of fostering a little bit of that where you're seeing a lot of like and i always talk about drift because i mm. think drift has done this pretty well where you can but it's, it's clear that in their strategy, they've got this like thing over here. And it's like, it's not necessarily about manufacturing demand and closing deals and doing all that stuff. It's about like our brand and our point of view and how we take that to market. And so you see them doing some big things. I know you've mentioned Wistia before. I think Absolutely. Wistia is doing some really interesting things with this, like these, you know, serial sort of programs that I think are really well produced and really fun and interesting. And, you know, it's for creativity's sake and it's for making something that their buyer will love and it may not make them buy something from them but it will certainly create an affinity for that brand and that's
0: that's right and you know, the thing is it's not either or. So when I a lot of these have died in in our life as an agency because they're measured against something that people think of as hardworking and, and think, you know what, it's not either or. These will work beautifully together. Get that thing out there, which is about your values and your beliefs and what you love about this world. And it'll work beautifully with the other supposedly hardworking stuff. I say supposedly because I actually think the hardest working thing you can do is do some content where The only job it has is celebrate what you believe or your values or, you know, it doesn't have to do anything other than that. And that's a wonderful brief that frees up so many cool ideas. But it's terrifying to people. It's terrifying.
1: And I mean, you know, again, like having gone through the process of rebranding a company, I still remember when we talked about it the first time you Mm. said these were your exact words. We never recommend this to anyone. But have you yeah. thought about changing your name? And I was like, well, that's a good way to lead in. And of course, we had all thought about it, but it was terrifying. And it's like, that's not a project any marketer wants to bite off. And I had to, you know, I remember having to defend it to like our board of directors. And I'm I'm defending this thing like five minutes <laughs> before it's about to happen. So I was like, you really right. know what's happening, right? But anyway, I'm defending it. And it was like, it was exactly that. It was like, everybody wanted to draw a straight line to like, well, if we do yeah. this, what then? And I'm like, I don't know, but I feel in my heart of hearts that things will be better. I feel like it will be a brand that people want to do business with and will like and, you know, all of these things. And and it was really hard to set up some metric we were going to measure it and live by. It was just like, we all have to basically believe that doing this will create some kind of rising tide in terms of the cool factor of the brand and the affinity that we have. And like, you know, we already had great advocacy and and customers who loved us and all of that. It's like, I want to give them something bigger and brighter to attach themselves to. And I felt very comfortable with the Chaotic, you know, nature of that. And some people just surely did not feel that comfortable.
0: Right. But you know what? Your comfort with it and confidence is part of the product here. It's like if you didn't have it going in there, they could never have it. Whereas with you having it, it's like, all right, yeah, you know what? Partly it's like, I want to be the kind of person that can do something for my gut and belief too. But also, she does, and we like her, and we trust her, and she feels this way. And like, Part of this is like we can't keep L. wolves in our company if we don't let them follow themselves. So, you know, the fact that you will attach yourself to something is a big thing. And that's another one I would really urge for people is like, go ahead and own it. Go ahead and look someone in the eye and, and talk like that.
1: Well, my question to myself is always like, what's the worst thing that could happen? Like, I was pretty sure we weren't gonna sink the company. Like, it wasn't gonna be that kind of thing. Maybe it was a big distraction. Maybe we wouldn't execute it as flawlessly. Maybe some people wouldn't like it. That's the worst thing that could happen. Big deal. And to this day, it is the best, most fun, most interesting project I ever got to work on. And I'm so glad I got that opportunity. And I look back on it and I'm like, oh, thank God we did that. Because imagine if that company was still called Lookbook HQ.
0: Yeah, it's better it's better, and even recommending. It. I was like you were to your board. I was to you, which is look. I can't. I just think this is the time to think about this, and it never hurts to explore it, kind of thing. And you got to do it.
1: That's what we did. Yeah. We didn't agree to do it. We agreed to explore it, and I knew once we did that, we would find a better home for the brand, and no one would be able to 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 you know back off that. And that's exactly. And it's funny
0: how it works now because it just feels so much like the company. And the old one just doesn't, and so that transfer was quick and complete. You know.
1: Yep. And I remember saying, "That's a brand I want to work for. Mm-hmm. I want to work at that company. That yeah. sounds like a cool company." But we we did it. We did it. All right. So um, I want to thank you very much for being with me today. This is very. This has been a really fun conversation. We mm-hmm. have a good natural. Yeah. Report. So it's been just lovely chit chat that we recorded. I want to end with one funny question. So imagine I gave you the power to banish three words from the English language. And these could be like buzzy, jargony words or words that hold people back, whatever you like. But what what three words would you just chuck out in the English
0: language? Okay. I mean, I I tend not to be really banisher because there's always like a legitimate place for even the most hated jargon. As a writer, I want access to all the words, even if only to ridicule them. But i like, you know, there's like words no, there leverage everybody wants some to. Definitely. Like, something. Something. a style oh, yeah, of writing or tone of voice that's very writerly, and I hate those. So I'll always kill amongst and make it among or whilst. Um, but I don't really, you know you Right. You're
1: like, I'm not like reading like a legal yeah. document here. I don't like, need it to be. I, like, I don't think we
0: misutilize yes, like, when use is always there. So I, oh,
1: I don't mind thank that you. one, though,
0: you know. But
1: I never want to leverage or utilize right. anything ever again. I just want to use things. Yeah. I just want to use them. But I if want to get value me three, them, and it, maybe they're
0: linked together, I, I would have to say Andrew Lloyd Webber. <laughs> <laughs> I just can't get it.
1: Well, a whole bunch of people just had to turn this thing off, and they won't listen because that's sacrilege to some people. Yeah,
0: you know? well, sorry. It's just my thing. And if it's not that – if they're linked together, maybe I'll go for, like, laser eye surgery, which scares the hell out of me, you know? <laughs> okay, so
1: I have a whole thing on this because mm-hmm. I wear glasses and you wear glasses mm-hmm. and I can't see without glasses. Like I can't see anything. And I like deep down, I'm like, oh God, it must be so nice to wake up in the morning and just see stuff. And you know, not, and I play tennis. Mm-hmm. So I got to put contacts in. It's a big pain in the ass. Anyway, but my thing with laser eye surgery is like, Let's yeah. wait another like 50 years to make yeah, sure their eyeballs cool. don't fall out or something, or like grow yeah. a third eye. Yeah. Like, who knows? It hasn't existed long enough for me to feel comfortable totally. getting my eyeballs. And fixed.
0: if you do, That's if something goes wrong, no one's going to have sympathy for someone who opted for something called laser eye and surgery. I mean, you know, the hint was all there for you. Like, I ain't going to do that. And so.
1: I just feel like there's an opportunity here to rebrand that to to come up with a better way to talk about it. Eye
0: improvement, yeah, gotta feel better,
1: (laughs) yeah. Even just like you know, I don't know, non-scary, non-invasive vision correction would be better. Laser
0: eye (laughs) surgery. I'm hugging. Mm.
1: (laughs) That's it. Okay. All right. Well, I like. I like. I like where you went with that. That was unexpected. Thank you so much for, for doing this. And I really, truly, and deeply hope we get to work together again on another project. I doubt I'll get to rebrand another company. I don't know, maybe. That should be like what I do in my yeah, career. Just seek out companies me. that need to be rebranded and go in there. I, I mean,
0: Microsoft, come on, we can do better than that.
1: <laughs> Doug Hesler it's always a pleasure.
0: You too. Thanks, El.
1: Thanks for joining me today. That was a really, really fun conversation, and I hope you will join me next time when I will have Doug Seacrest on the show. Doug is the vice president of demand marketing at Zenefits and one of the smartest demand gen minds in B two B. So we're going to talk a lot about the integrated process of creating demand and blending the you know math and science part with the creative strategy part. So it's a really fun discussion, something really near and dear to my heart, and I hope you'll join us next time.
0: You've never tried to eyeball six feet as often as you do now. You wear a mask, you wash your hands, and you've stayed within the walls of your apartment for more hours than you care to add up. But unless you live in a smoke-free building, you're not exactly home-free. Secondhand smoke drifting through the cracks in walls or sink drains carries toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. And right now, Lung health is key. Go to tobaccofreeca.com to learn how to stay safe.